Hey, Faith family, thanks for tuning in to our teaching time this morning as we continue this series called Story of My Life. And I don't know about you, but this series has been eye-opening to me in so many different ways. I knew I grew up in a church that taught what it meant to follow Jesus, uh, what it meant to listen to his teachings, to put them into our lives and try to live them out. They did a great job of laying groundwork for that and, and really, I think from a very early age, got me on a path to understanding who Christ was and why it was so different to live that way and why it was so such a true way to live and a meaningful way to live. But I also grew up with kind of one perspective. Like, okay, this is the way I came to faith, so everybody must come to faith that way. And what's been challenging about this series is seeing so many people come to faith in so many different ways. Uh, it's all through Christ, but the way they come to Christ is so exciting. And we've had a lot of stories leading up uh, to this week that have looked at different characters, different backgrounds, and, and I'm really excited about where we're going from here. We're really going to kind of start following the ministry of uh, Saul, who's going to be called Paul from here on out in Scripture, um, as he takes the gospel into places that really have never heard it before, many places have never heard about Jesus that he's going to walk into. And it's exciting. Uh, we're going to see high, highly influential men and women and groups that are impacted by the teachings of Jesus and the gospel, the good news of what it means to have faith in him. And as much as I'm excited about this week's teaching, I'm also very excited about next week's teaching because we're talking about the conversion of a woman named Lydia. And so I've invited Kristen, uh, one of our uh, teachers in our church, to uh, bring that message next week and from a female perspective on what it means to engage in the faith. And so I really want to encourage you uh, to tune in next week and engage with that teaching as well. But let's jump into today's teaching. And again, how we're going to do this is the way we've been kind of following a process uh, over the last few weeks, we're going to look at the person uh, who was impacted by the gospel. Who is he? How can we identify with him or her? And then second, what prompted the conversation around the gospel? And then third, what was the point of conversion? When did they actually move from one set of belief to another? And then finally, what was the product of transformation in their culture, in their lives, in their cities? And what's the lasting impact that we can apply to our lives? So let's pick up the story. Last week we left uh, Peter. He had been with Cornelius, kind of the first uh, time that the Gentiles, non-Jewish, came to faith outside of first converting to the Mosaic traditions, the Moses traditions, and then to Jesus. And so it was really a beautiful story of learning that it, what Jesus teaches and what he taught and, and what Peter communicated there was setting aside our differences and going, you know what? It's Jesus plus nothing. We don't have to add anything to it. And uh, it was a great story of getting the gospel into non-Jewish hands as it continued to grow in Jewish culture. Now it was growing outside of Jewish culture as well. And if you remember at the beginning of last week, we started with kind of the state of the church in Jerusalem. And remember it said this in Acts 9, it said that the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, the Jewish areas, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It was great days. Great days were happening. Good things. But in the next few years, a lot of political things shifted. New leaders came in that were not as great toward the Christians. Uh, the Jewish culture and the Christian culture in the Judean era was really separating, really become two distinct things. And so there was some, some clash coming on there. And 
So we're going to pick up this story about five to six years later. Uh, and in Acts chapter 12, it gives us the next state of the church uh, concept. And here's what it says in Acts 12, 1 and 2. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, which was one of the original disciples. And with him, he saw that it pleased the Jews. And so he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Two things were happening here, right? The, the church in Jerusalem was facing extreme persecution. There was a famine in Judea going on at the time we learn as we look at other contexts of the scripture here. And the Christ following sect of Judaism was continuing to distinguish itself more and more from the primary Jewish traditions. And it was bringing about some pretty difficult time for the, for the Jew, Jewish believers in Judea. And so we learned earlier and, and now even more so that there are people fleeing. They're getting out there. They're refugees. They're heading to different areas for safety. But as they're going, they're continuing to tell the story of Jesus and take his teachings with him. And one of the areas that this was happening was in a place called Antioch. Antioch uh, is in southern Turkey today, what we would know as southern Turkey, kind of on the coast of the Mediterranean, and a growing, vibrant church was building there because it was a growing, vibrant city. Half a million people are estimated to have lived there during this time. And it was a place many people fled to, leaving Judea and heading there. And they were forming a church, and it says it was growing. Things were doing very well there. And this is the place that says that they were, the followers of Jesus were actually first called Christians in Antioch. Isn't it crazy to think, you know, we, we label ourselves Christians in today's culture, but Jesus never used that term. He simply called people to follow him. But this term Christian and the, the Greek entomology of it, it, we often would find it as it maybe started as a derogatory term toward these people. Like you're the weirdos, you're the strange, you're those Christians, those oddballs. But they actually took that on then, embraced it with distinction. And it became a defining characteristic of who they are. And it really became a calling card for them. Like, yeah, we're different, but we're, we're different in a good way. It's bringing great things in our life. It's bringing peace and pleasure and meaning and hope into our lives. And so we're going to catch up with our story today in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to see what's going on first in this church in Antioch and why it's important first what's going on there because it, it gives us a calling even as a church to what do we what do we do when we're growing and we're healthy and then we're going to see what happens with kind of the first convert that comes out of the ministry of Antioch as they began reaching out and so Acts 13 1 through 3 describes the church in Antioch like this it says now there was a church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Paul, Saul, and Barnabas for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the church is gathering. It's a whole, and if you look at all those names, like this is a group of people from multiple backgrounds. 
And this goes to what we were talking about. People were fleeing maybe persecution, coming to Antioch. Antioch was kind of a cosmopolitan city, lots of different people, lots of culture there, very similar to like New York, where we have people from all different backgrounds jammed into one area. And that's what this church was. And they were growing, connecting, developing within their context. And God comes to them and says, that's great. But now it's time to go do what you're doing here somewhere else. And so he picks two people, Barnabas and Saul. And we've learned the story of Saul earlier, his his transformation, his conversion. God's bringing this, these two men together, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas we saw at Antioch. Saul we saw transformed on the road to Damascus. He's bringing these two men together. And he's saying, now go somewhere else. Tell others about the teaching of Christ. He sends them out. And this idea of sending them out, that, that term there in verse 3, I love what the, the meaning of it is. It doesn't mean like send them out just as preachers. Like here's a text, you know, here, here's our five key beliefs. Go out and just preach this everywhere you can. Being sent out really takes it with this context of go live with other people as they are living. And in doing so, speak the truth of the gospel back into their lives. So it's it's go be in and put yourself into their culture, into their lives first. And then create an opportunity where you can then speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. Here's where I think we sometimes get it backwards as a Christian faith when it comes to sending missionaries. We send missionaries think that they should already have authority, that they go and they get to speak and other people should approach that missionary with humility and say, oh, tell me what you have to teach, oh great teacher. And then they speak, find find the, speak the truth of Christ to them and, and they convert to the faith. This sending out is very different. He's sending out and saying, go with humility. Go and just live their life. Live like them. And we see this with Paul many times down the road. He, he goes and sets up shop. He's a tent maker. He lives with people of that culture, wherever he's at. He connects with his life. And yes, he goes and teaches in the synagogue, like where some of the Jewish are, but then eventually he gets invited to come speak with authority into people's lives because they, they've they accepted him into his culture, into their culture, and seen something different about his life. And I think we've got to be careful not to mix that up, to think that we are the ones sent with authority and expect others to come to us humility with humility. And instead, we need to realize when we go places for the gospel, we should go with humility. Embrace the culture, embrace the life, embrace the way their world is happening, but live out the teachings of Christ in such a way that one day we'll get asked to speak with authority in their life. And that's the story today. That's the story we're going to look at. And so this is uh, Acts chapter 13. It's the first stop that Saul and Barnabas make on their journey, what's known as the first missionary journey of of Saul and Barnabas. And so let's look at these verses, and then we're going to dive back into pieces of them along the way this morning as we take on our journey. So uh, Acts 13, 6 through 8 says this, When they, meaning Saul and Barnabas, had gone through the whole island, which is of Cyprus, what they're talking about, whole island of Cyprus, as far as Patus, they come upon, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But 
Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. All right, so we already see what Paul and Barnabas had been sent to Cyprus, this island off the coast of Turkey, and it said they had worked their way across the entirety of the island. I don't know exactly how long it took, but they, they learned the culture. They jumped in. They, they, they became those people there. They met new people, connected with new people, and understood the culture. And by the time they'd worked to the whole other end of the island, they get to this area. Really, they're about to get on a boat to head to their next stop. And one of the most highly influential leaders there, this guy named Sergius Paulus, a proconsul, which means he worked for the council, which was the highest elected official in the Roman uh, government. So he was high up there, probably head of that island of Cyprus, very highly influential person. He had learned so much about them and probably heard news of them coming his way and that there's something different about these two men and what they teach and how they live, that he invited them to come speak with authority in his life. And so what I want you to see about this person today, that the kind of person that we're going to connect with this, this Sergius Paulus, how would I describe him? I would describe him as this, as a distracted devotee. He was devoted, right? He, he had this guy in his, in his council that was teaching him about the faith, this, this false prophet. He wanted to learn. It says that he was a man of intelligence. He sought to hear the word of God. He invited people to come in and teach him. And so he was someone who was seeking the truth, but was getting distracted by bad information. And so I want to take these two words today, this idea of being devoted to something and being distracted by something, because I think we can live our life in both of these ways, and we have to be careful not to let the distractions pull us away from the right devotions in our life. And so this word devoted that I'm using this morning, I think it comes from these these two things that we learn about uh, Sergius Paulus here. It says, one, he was a, a man of intelligence. That idea of intelligence, that word can also be uh, translated prudence, which means like forward thinking, thinking about what is ahead, planning with the future in mind. And so somebody who's devoted, the first thing I would say is this, is they are a person of calculation, that they calculate the cost of things. What is it going to mean to follow this? What is it going to mean to do this? So they, they calculate it. They, they actually put the numbers on the paper, the pros, the cons. They, they engage with it. And a lot of us, I think, have sometimes come to the Christian faith and we get distracted, like we're going to talk about in a minute, because we really haven't looked at what Jesus really teaches. We haven't, we haven't studied it deeply. And we think we know what Jesus says, but the truth is sometimes we are living in a way that Jesus never taught, but we're attributing it to Jesus. So a person of devotion is a person of calculation who has counted it, who has actually figured out this is what it means and this is what it doesn't mean. But it also says that he was a person who wanted to hear the word of God. He sought after Saul and Barnabas so he could hear the word of God. And that word hear that means like a deep, deep examination of, and, and I'm going to say he was a person of contemplation, not just a person of calculation who counted the cost, but a person of deep contemplation. Somebody would take the study of, of a word or a thought or a phrase and, and not just look at it for what it meant, 
like a calculation, like here's the good and bad of that. But what does it mean to actually start doing it? To put it into practice. This is what contemplation is like. I, I know what that means to follow Jesus, but will I actually do it? Will I actually follow this teaching? Will I change my thought process? Will I change an attitude? Will I adjust a behavior in my life because I believe I've done the calculation, I've done the contemplation, I believe it's the best thing to do. That's what it means to be devoted to something. But we see here that Sergius Paulus was also distracted. He had this false prophet speaking into his life. We learned that this false prophet was intentionally trying to steer him away from Jesus and the teachings that Paul and Barnabas were bringing in that moment. And and it labels him here as a false prophet. And I'm going to use two words here to describe what it means to have something distracting in your life. What does it mean to be distracted? First, it means that something is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Now, we immediately hear that word counterfeit and we go, I'd be able to spot a counterfeit. Like I I can spot it. But the, the thing about a great counterfeit is even experts can't see the difference. It's just slightly, slightly off. Do you know where a counterfeit starts? It starts with copying the truth. It doesn't start with a lie. Counterfeit starts with the truth and then veers off slightly. Just takes you slightly off path. Just a touch. Not a whole lot, but just just enough so that if I can get you off path, I'm going to eventually get you going in a direction that you weren't going to begin with. And that's what this false prophet was doing. He was distracting Sergius Paulus and moving him in a direction, a counterfeit direction. But the word false prophet, that idea of prophet also means it's something that is not just counterfeit. It's also something that is corrupt. It's wrong. It's not just a little off. It's it's wrong. It's leading you in a bad direction, a direction that's bringing death and harm into your life. And it's not just a little piece once it gets in there. The thing about corruption is it's infectious. It moves to other areas. Once you allow corruption into your life, it's very easy for it to spread to different areas. Not just one path that starts veering off, but then many paths that start veering off in our life. And what does it say he was trying to get Sergius Paulus to do, the false prophet was, Bar Jesus, he was trying to get him to turn away from the faith. How do you turn away from the faith? It's not that you make a 90 degree right turn. It's not how you do it. And even people that have, that have grown up in the church that are now kind of far away from it usually have taken this path of listening to counterfeit truth. It's even often taught as if it's the truth of Jesus, right? And it just gets them veering off in a direction, starts corrupting their life and leads them away from the true faith. And many times false teachers do that to people who think they're still following the real teacher. That's the, that's the challenge in this. This false teacher, this guy named Bar Jesus, had Sergius Paulus believing he was already following Jesus, but he was really leading him away from the faith. And we have to be careful of false teachers in our life. Say one thing and do another, or just get a slightly off And we're going to talk about how to be on God for that more as we try to learn how to handle the truth. Because we can allow these distractions in our life and we can 
when they come in and we'll start, stop guarding our devotion. We stop calculating and being contemplative and really thinking and we start moving away toward some new truth. And so how does this happen? We can often mishandle truth in our life. How do we do this? This is the way I've seen it. I'm going to use a passage out of Psalms 119. And Psalms 119 is a beautiful passage of scripture in the Old Testament that talks about truth, God's word, the word of God. Now, you have to realize when Psalms was written, there there was not a Bible that people carried around. And so when he would say about thy word, have I hid in my heart? He's talking about the actual word of God that had come to them from prophets and priests. And he was talking about the word of God that we know is truth. And so how do we mishandle the truth? Sometimes we're going to look through Psalm 119 and see where we get off path somewhere and eventually how to get back on path. And here's the deal. We can mishandle truth when we think that real truth is concealed. It's concealed. Like we have to go on this treasure hunt for it. But Psalms 119.9 tells us differently. It says, how can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word, to God's word. Do you know what that means? How do you guard your heart? By according to God's word. It's already known. It's there. Put it into practice. It's not hidden or concealed. There's not this way that we have to dig through 16 layers to actually get to the truth. It's not concealed. It's revealed. God's truth is already revealed. But then we also can mishandle truth by thinking that real truth has to be confusing, has to be, has to be so deep. So something new to think about that, that it's just too confusing to even understand. Psalm 119 pushes back on this as well. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you You let me not wonder from your commandments. I'm not going to wonder. I don't want to wonder away from them. How do we not wonder? Because they're not confusing to follow. It's not. It's not confusing. God's word, God's truth is not, it's not confusing. It's not hidden, concealed, and it's not confusing. It's not this junk, this puzzle that we have to put together. It's very clear when we allow it into our life. The third thing we think is this, is we often think real truth has to be contrary to what everybody else believes. Like nobody, real truth has not been discovered yet. I'm I'm getting deeper and deeper into it. And one day I'll uncover the real gem of truth. And Psalms 119.14 pushes back on this. It says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Do you know who likes riches? Everybody, everybody like, we all delight and we delight in God's word, not because it's contrary, not because it has to be different. Good truth is truth. It is there to be had. It's not hidden. It's not confusing. It doesn't have to be contrary. You don't have to come up with something new. And then finally is this, we think that real truth is always changing. It's changing, right? It's different for me than it is for you. It's different for this generation than the previous generation, but Psalms 119.15 pushes back on this. And it says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Do you know what it means to fix your eyes on something? It doesn't mean that it's like I'm looking at one thing. I'm focused on that one thing. It's not moving around. I'm able to fix and keep my eyes straight on it. That means God's truth isn't moving around. I can focus 
on it. It is a focus thing. It does not change from day to day, generation to generation, person to person. And when we mishandle God's truth, thinking that it's concealed or confusing, has to be contrary or that it's ever changing, it leads us to odd places. It leads us to crazy, dark places of this world trying to find truth in our lives. It'll lead us to crazy you know, paths down YouTube watching conspiracy theories until we believe that we have finally found the one truth that nobody else has ever figured out. It's crazy. I know Christians that seem to be better versed and more passionate about the latest conspiracy theory than they are about the wonderful truths that Jesus taught. God did not create us to figure out new truth or even to find it where no one else has looked. Instead, he simply called us to follow his fully revealed truth. And that's what was happening with Sergius Plagius, Paulus, in this moment. He was on a search for truth, but he was getting detoured by a false teacher, moving him down changing paths, contrary paths, confusing or hidden paths, trying to find the truth, keep him on a never-ending journey. The journey to God's truth has ended. It's revealed, it's here, and that we can be devoted to it. And so let's move through the next part of this of what actually prompted the conversation with Paul and Barnabas and Sergius Paulus. We see in verse seven, it says this, the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So what was it that prompted this conversation? It was a pursuit of truth. Right, We talked about he had been going off in direction and he was like, okay, I know this doesn't, something's not right. right? Why was he wanting to have a conversation with Paul and Barnabas if he was actually content with where Bar-Jesus was leading him? He wasn't. He knew it wasn't right. And I think we know that in our lives as well. We know when we're heading down these veered off pathways that maybe somebody's leading us off or we're allowing our own desires to lead us off to. And instead, he's like, there's something different about this men. There's something different about this truth. It doesn't come from them. It seems to come from something beyond them. And he invited them. So he pursued truth. The word here that says he sought to hear the word of God, that word sought actually means that he craves or he was clamoring for truth. Clamor means to have a persistent outcry. Like truth, truth. He was wanting it so badly in his life. And he did this by asking questions, observing and seeing things. He was saying that I want to know what's right. This was what he was clamoring for. I want to know what's right. I want to do what is right. I want wisdom that is beyond myself. I want something that leads me to pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And when we pursue truth, we can sometimes, again, get a little distracted and start pursuing the wrong kind of truth. And that's what Sergius Paulus was doing with having this bar Jesus, this false teacher in his life. And so let me just ask you a couple of questions right quick when it comes to pursuing truth. When you get to a point in your life, all right, something's got to change. I need an anchor. I need something in my life. Truth. What do you pursue? What do you clamor for? What do you cry out for? Let me give you some couple of questions and these tie into Psalm 119 as well. Do you clamor for truth that will satisfy your personal desires or a truth that will stimulate the growth of your character? That's a tough question. Because, I mean, the easy truth to 
truth to get into our lives is that that just satisfies our personal desire. Actually, then what actually is going to grow our character? Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word, the word of God in my heart, that I might not sin against you, that I, my character will grow. Not just to make, make it okay to do what I want to do, but that my character actually grows. Second question is this, do you clamor for a truth that will simply confirm your choice or a truth that will make the right choice clear? Again, another hard choice. I love it when somebody tells me the way I'm thinking is the right way and I don't have to do anything to change or make a difficult choice or I get to choose what I want. I love it when that happens. But you know what? I usually don't love those outcomes. Just because somebody agrees with me doesn't make the outcome right. I've learned in my life to to listen to contrary voices to my own voice and to listen for God's truth in those because it may be putting me toward the right choice, making the right choice clear. This is what Psalms 119.12 says. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. That word statutes means choice or direction. Teach me the right choice. Not confirm my choice, but teach me your choice. You see the difference somewhere? Seeing here and pursuing truth and what it means to actually bring the right conversations into your life. Not just elevating your own personal desires, but instead elevating your, your character, the growth of your character. Not only your own, you're confirming your own choices, but making the right choice clear. And then finally, the last question is this. Do you clamor for a truth that would simply elevate your status or a truth that will expand your stature? Again, it's a tough choice because we love to have our status elevated. Make a choice to have more followers, have more, you know, influence in my life. Like I, I get to speak in front of more people or do this or I get a pay raise or I get a higher elevated job. Just my status keeps going up and up and up and up. Is that the kind of truth you're like? What do I have to do to just elevate my status? Or what about ex- instead pursuing truth that expands your stature? The stature is is your the truth that you share with others, that you become a person of wisdom, a person that's not only making right choice, but stature means that you're also helping others make right choices around it. You are spreading wisdom around. And this is what Psalm 119.13 says about the word of God. He says, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. That's what stature is. I'm not spreading my opinion now, But with my lips, I will declare the rules of God's mouth, his words. His words become my words. So my status isn't growing, but my stature is because I'm becoming a person of wisdom. And it's so easy in this pursuit of truth to get caught up in pursuing the things that we think are true because they satisfy our own desires, confirm our choices, or elevate our status. But the word of God, Psalm 19 teaches us here, when you pursue the real truth, what it does is it stimulates the growth of our character. It makes the right choice clear and expands our stature. So that's what brought about the conversation, right? And this is the conversation that Barnabas and Paul had with Sergius Paulus, this Roman elected official. They were going back and forth and and he was seeing something different. I can imagine Bar-Jesus, this uh, the false prophet, all he ever did was confirm whatever Sergius Paulus thought. Like, 
what does your God say about this? Whatever you think, that's what my God is going to agree with. Elevate your status, stimulate your own personal desires, and whatever your choice is, I'll confirm that. And Paul and Barnabas was like, no, it's not what happened in our life. We were going in one direction, now we're going in another direction. And that's what truth does. So what then was the point of conversion? And I think we see this in verse 9 through 11, when when the conversion actually happened. And it says this, But Saul, who was then also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, talking about the false prophet Bar-Jesus, and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's what we just talked about. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. So what was the point of conversion in this man's life, in Sergius Paul's life? It was when not just he began to pursue truth, that's what started the conversation, but the conversion happened when he invited truth into his life, right? Bar-Jesus got him out. That false prophet, that distraction, he got him out. He started to pursue the real truth, not just pursue it, but then it says he began to invite it into his life. Here's the key I want you to hear this morning with this idea of inviting truth and, and, and truth being Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God's word, God's truth in this world, when you invite that into your life, is let the truth, when you invite it into your life, let the truth do the work in your life instead of working to find the truth. That's what we, that's, that's how we get veered off in all these paths, how we mishandle the truth, thinking it's contrary, confusing, concealed. So we got to work for it. The truth has been revealed. It's here. God's word has been fully revealed to us. His character is fully revealed in Christ. And when you invite that in, let it do the work. Let it show you how to grow your character, show you the right choice, grow your stature. How do we do this? I'm just going to tell you how I've done it in my life. There's a lot of different ways this can probably happen, but I think these are three key things that are easy to instill in our life that allow this truth to take root into our life, to invite it in, not just pursue it, but to finally invite it in. And the first thing is this, study. Study the teachings of Jesus. If you're not familiar with Bible study, I I would encourage you at the very least to begin in the Gospels of Jesus, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you got a Bible, a lot of Bibles, even online Bibles, make the words of Jesus read so you can see what was his, were his actual words. And if you've never studied the Bible, I would encourage you to start it by studying the words of Jesus the spoken words of Jesus, and, and and do that. And one of the ways you study, even if you're like, I don't understand this, is, is to take step two here, is then submit yourself to teachers of good quality and integrity. And, and you have to find those. You have to search those out. Uh, you have to ask other people, you know, is this a good teacher? Should I, should I follow this? And, but let me tell you one easy way to, often find a good teacher of the gospel of Jesus is they are, are they actually doing what they're teaching? Are they asking you to do something that they're not doing or something that brings them benefit and you harm? 
that's typically a number one sign of a false teacher is someone who's asking you to do something they're not doing and asking you to do something that brings you harm and them good. Most solid teachers of good quality and good integrity are actually willing to sacrifice themselves for you because that's what Jesus did for them. The third thing, so study, submit to teachers of good quality and integrity. And then third is surround yourself with believers that are on the faith journey with you. Make connections with others. Walk the path together. This makes studying easier. It makes submitting to good quality teachers easier. And this is simply how to invite the truth into your life. Study, submit, and surround yourself with others on this journey. And that's what brought Sergius Paulus to this point of conversion, an inviting of the truth, inviting of Jesus into his life. So what was the product of this change? I think there are two things that we're going to see here in verse 12 that are a product, brought about the product of change in his life. And it says this in verse 12, that the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. So here's the two things that I think happen in his life and happen in our life. It is removal and replacement. Removal and replacement. Let me tell you these two words. It said he believed. That word believed there means that he placed something into a new position of prominence in his life. He elevated. He gave credit and authority. He removed something and replaced it with the teachings of Jesus. But then he said he was also astonished by the teachings of Jesus. Now, this word astonished in our language means like an awe or, oh my gosh, look at that, like staring at fireworks in the sky. We're astonished by that. But but the word, when you look at the actual root of it, means this, to strike out, drive away, and cast off. Strike out, drive away, and cast off. And he, he said the teachings of Jesus caused him to be astonished, which meant he was removing the bad things out. He was like, this is no longer part of my life. It's out. And here's here's what happens when we can get confused sometimes. We think the gospel is just one of these. The gospel and the truth of Jesus is just the addition of more beliefs in my life, right? All right, I I was this and this and that. I was I, I I followed this path of faith. I followed this teaching. I followed this with science. I followed this. And I'm just going to add Jesus onto it because it's some good things too. And I'm just trying to accumulate as many good things as I can into my life, and it becomes overwhelming. And then this teaching conflicts with this teaching and we don't know what to do and, and we get challenged. And so we just think it's addition, more on, heavier, heavier, heavier. But what does Jesus say? He says, my yoke is easy. Following me is eating. My burden is light. It's not just adding more on. It's not just, it's not just addition. But then we also think that the gospel is simply just then subtracting bad habits out of our life. I can't do this anymore. I can't say these words anymore. I can't do these practices anymore. All these things that I once liked, I can't do anymore. All these attitudes that I have, I have to get rid of them. And we end up pulling things out of our life and we end up feeling empty and incomplete. And this is what happens when we only do one of these, either removal or replacement, right? Addition or subtraction. But I want you to hear the work of the gospel this morning is these two processes working together. It's the truth coming into my life and saying, that's wrong. That's a bad path you've been on. I want to get you onto a good path. So I want to remove that from your life, not leave you empty there, but instead replace it 
with something beautiful, with a new way of living. You've been consumed with lust. Guess what? I want to give you a pathway of love that'll bring you more satisfaction than you've ever had in your life. What you, you've been eat up with greed, wanting, wanting things for you. And that's the path you've been going down. I want to help you understand how generosity will giving you more contentment than you ever had in your life. And this is ultimately the idea of regeneration, new life. This is how new life comes into us. It is the death of the old and the birth of the new, the removal and replacement. Don't ever get confused at thinking that the gospel of Jesus is just getting rid of bad things or just adding on new things. It is a cycle of new birth, of regeneration in our life. As his words of truth come into our life, they push out the bad, the astonished. We're astonished that we ever did that. And we start believing new things and walking in that. So where in your life are you pursuing false teaching? Where are you veering off, heading down crooked paths, pursuing a type of truth that just makes you feel good? Where are you distracted? Where are you searching desperately for truth that's already been revealed to you? Today, would you consider simply inviting God's truth into your life and letting it do the work of regeneration for you bringing new life into you? It's not confusing. It's not difficult. It's not hidden from us. It's easy. And I would love to talk to you about that if that's something you're considering. You can reach out to me personally at the email below. And if you send me out, I'll set up a time we can talk either in person or in Zoom uh, or over a phone call or whatever is best for you. Uh, I'll, I'll do what I talked about. We'll, we'll study and submit to teaching together and surround ourselves with, with each other as we work through this. And we have others in our faith family that will do that with you as well. So I'd love to hear from you if this is a journey you're on, if you felt like you've been distracted in your life in a thousand different ways, but you're trying to finally devote yourself to something by pursuing truth, I'd love to show you how to invite that truth into your heart today. Because as you do, it will create not just new life in you, but it'll create a brand new story as well. What's my story? I grew up in Judaism, which is an ingrained part of my identity, heritage, and culture. At the time, I saw Judaism as something that bonded me to my family, to other people, and to history. But in retrospect, it was an introduction to God. My faith journey was also shaped by attending a Quaker high school. For those of you who are not familiar, Quakerism is a Christian denomination that emphasizes simplicity and practices worship by sitting together in communal silence. At the time, I saw the Quaker influence as just a way to slow down from the hectic life of a high schooler, but in retrospect, it was an introduction to prayer. I only started more seriously considering faith after college. Thanks to a variety of churches, books, and the gentle and patient encouragement of my now wife, Madeline, who shared her story last week, as well as other friends who came into my life, my skepticism and questioning turned towards understanding and ultimately believing. But it wasn't until a quiet moment a few years ago when I was wide awake nursing a small injury in the middle of the night that I felt God meet me personally. 
In that small moment of pain, I felt a humble surrender in my heart that I could not rely on myself or even others, but only God, that my life was in God's hands where I could finally find rest. Ever since, I see God's work and love everywhere in my life, all the way back from my childhood to these days with you at New City. And that's my story.